Welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. My name is Luke and I work for a big wine company. And my name is Luke and I work for a small wine company. And today we're going to talk about, oh, oh Campbell, I, went, I had a dinner. And um, so one of the topics this week is going to be how not to host a wine dinner. And hopefully we'll get onto the topic of why Pinot is so hard uh, from a listener question that we had to skip last week because it's a big answer, I'm sure. But, yes. as always, we start off with what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Well, thank you very, very, very much. And hello to the listening audience. Luke Morris, I have been touched by the Christmas bug. It is called, <laughs> it's called the silly season for a reason. Everybody creates their own silliness. I was just thinking that is Santa a bug now? He's, have you sat on his knee and he's giving you a touch in the wrong way and now you're feeling well, a bit, you want to well, share? Well, you're not allowed to sit on his friend. knee. It's COVID, Luke. Haven't you noticed? You can't sit oh, on his it? knee. I didn't know that. Well, you're the one with kids. So I assume you would be more switched into that kind of stuff. No, but you yeah. can't be sitting on Santa's knee. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Absolutely. So I have been touched by the Christmas bug and, you know, whether it be for my will, against my will or as my will, I've attended several uh, Christmas scenarios, parties, soirees, oh. as it be. Yeah. And I want to talk today about you see all types of people come out. I want to talk to you about some of the people you see come out at these parties because there is a oh. type. Would you agree? There's a certain type of person that comes out of this this time. Of year. Are, are you referring to the type of person that comes out after a bevy or two, or just the type of person who you've only met as a keyboard warrior and then you meet them in the flesh? I, I think the the latter. I think the only people that you've met, you know, uh, either yes, superficially, or they might be an acquaintance or a colleague rather than a friend. Yep. Um, and, and then you know, they, suddenly they, you're in a social scenario with them and you've got to deal with them as a human being, not just and, uh, someone who you transact with. Exactly. And boom, you get all types of people. You get, you know, the, the holiday, you know, perfectionist. You get the movie buff, the gourmet chef, you know, the Grinch, the, you know, the people who go oh, ho-hum about Christmas. Or you get all these different types of people and it's like, oh, wow, I've got to, how, how do I navigate this? <laughs> small talk. Yes, small talk. Well, ah, on, on isn't back, it humid? On the back of a pandemic, and, and you know, because and you would get this a lot, Luke, because we're the wine guy. They want to talk wine, and it's like, oh yeah, great, all right. How about that Shannon Blanc from the Swan Valley in WA? And they go, what Swan? What? Like, <laughs> and and so you know, it doesn't really go down that well. And so, yeah. and then you t- you're talking to the perfectionist, you know, like he's just running around trying to get the Christmas carols from Mariah Carey going in the right direction. They're trying to get the lights <laughs> in the right. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, they're, they're, you know, you've got the the person who's following the rules that you've got to kiss under the mistletoe and all this, you know. Just, oh, they, just they're stuff. the lonely person who just, that's their only time of year to get any physical touch. Well, that, that's just it. Walk around with mistletoe on a stick. Yes, that's it. And then you get the drunk uncle. We've chatted about the drunk uncle before on this podcast. Yeah, I still feel excited about that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then you get the gourmet, the gourmet chef or, or the salesperson, someone who's not always on the sales pitch. You know, you've got to get into this. Oh. It's been a great year. Get on to this. It's like, no. no Visit mate. my website. Yeah. Absolutely. Listen to my podcast. Yes. Know, that kind of person. Yeah, don't you hate those people who want you to listen to their podcasts? Oh, don't you hate those people? 
but there there are a few type of people, and I always get really confronted in that situation because you can't go anywhere. You've just got to be acceptably social without being socially excited. And I, you know, as as the wine guy, I, I make it my um, passion not to really go too whiny and certainly don't get in, intoxicated. I just keep it down to a dull roar. <laughs> and then, you know, just and then I don't go too crazy. But, yeah, but if, only... if somebody asks you questions about wine, do you? I assume you answer, but do do, do you probably don't give it the full twenty scenarios and all the uh, bells and whistles? Do do you try and change topics, or are you happy to just convalesce? No, no, no. I, I'm happy to convalesce, but like, you, you're exactly right. You've, you've nailed it to a tree. I just, I just give it the softly, softly. I don't give it the whole 160 degrees uh, working over. As those who are familiar with this podcast would know. <laughs> yes, what, what, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not standing up there giving people the news about Italy like I do you, Luke Morris. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like in, you know, in the background, you've got the person singing "Little Drummer Boy," and then you've got the salesperson trying to get you to listen to podcasts. You've got the Grinch ho humming about even being there. You've got all these types of people, so you've got to work out how to. So deal don't you with find having a people. few extra whinies help pass the time? A few extra whinies do, but because you're the wine guy, no one, no one, I, I don't know, people don't want to talk wine that much unless they don't know you're a wine guy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you don't, yeah, I don't bring it up. No, no, no neither do I. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. But I just, yeah. I'm just confronted by all these different types of, I'm going to call them celebratory people or seasonal people. So, so do you have any specific tactics? Do, oh, well, do... I, I do. Yes, I do have specific tactics. If some, because if, if you somebody... just talk about the weather, I suppose that's a bit too obvious. Do you have any other um, things you, you, you do? Oh, absolutely. I talk about emotions, and you really, you really short out the wheat from the chaff <laughs> straight away. <laughs> you get out the black eyeliner and start listening to the um, the cool no, sea. No, no. Not the cool no, no. sea. Not those other. Yeah, other cool sea. Oh yeah, no. I just start talking about emotions because yeah. you, you um, people either really want to engage and you know talk, not not laying myself bare, but just talk, just talking about uh, just see if I can get an emotional reaction. And it's at that point I can you know really get into the the, the topics that you want to break down on. But um, but yeah, what you do sort you care about? Is that what you're asking, or how's exactly, your cat? You know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, don't I don't talk about animals usually. <laughs> that comes after a drink or two. <laughs> right. No, just just you know, like uh, you know, geez, you, somebody might be talking about the pandemic, so yeah. I might turn it around and say, well, what you know, what made you happy from the pandemic, or what did oh. you learn? What what were the lessons learned from the pandemic? I'm sick of talking about the pandemic. Let's talk about something a bit meaningful. That's a nice little twist to it, though. I like that. What's yes. the lessons learned? What What have you been happy about during it? Yeah, give it yeah. give it a flip. That's it. That, that's my anyway. That's, that's what's been happening in my wine world this week. Uh, I just wow. thought I'd get it off my chest, really. No, good, good, because I have something to get off my chest. Oh. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit Luke Morris. Ha. Dot com dot au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. 
I had a uh, I had a, a, a Christmassy function, and it was a, a wine dinner that we. Oh, attended. firsthand! You've got firsthand experience. I firsthand experience, but it, well, I, I don't really want to um, drill down onto the people. Being my slightly autistic self, I don't really care about people that much. Uh, <laughs> No, no, but to to be honest, there was just things about how the the wine dinner side of it was was run, and I just thought, oh, this is how not to do it. And so there was the first thing, the first thing for for anyone who who might be taking notes and thinking, if I want to uh, entertain guests from this, this is from a workplace, um, how do, how do how do you run a wine event? The first thing I'd point out, and in this case, I don't really point any fingers at those organising it because it was done at short notice. But the first thing I'd say, location, mm-hmm. it's really useful to put it near a workplace. If you're all part of the same working group, put it near that workplace, mainly because everybody knows how to get to and from that location. Good tip. Even if you have to public transport it or whatever, you can get, if you move it to, as it was in this case, many kilometres away on the opposite side of town for most of the people attending it, does throw a couple of spanners in the works for people to arrive and depart and all those sorts of things. Yes. That's just so one little... First tip, keep it close to the place of employment. I think that's just. I think this is helpful, even though you, you might have limited options there. It also does make life easier. And if you're trying to enjoy things, you know, you want things to be slightly easy. I think so, but particularly this time of year. People are busy. People are on, on edge. People are anxious. Keep it simple. Another thing, uh, Campbell. What would um, mm. what would you think would be important at a, a wine dinner? If not the wine, maybe some food. Well, the food was excellent. But let's go back to your first thought, which was the wine. Mm. Uh, have wine. Having wine at a wine function goes a long way. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's, it's in my mind, in, in this case, they had wine. They just didn't serve it. Oh, right. <laughs> it, was, it was on display. It was. It wasn't on display. It was that uh, uh, the place was doing a sort of absolute solid as a BYO, but it was tucked behind the counter, uh, behind the, the the held by the wait staff, and it was. I suppose the other thing to point out is starting an event at eight o'clock is a bit of a stretch for people probably like you and me. Eight p.m. is 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 a, is a late kickoff for dinner. Hmm. But uh, when the wines don't come out until nine o'clock, it's it does really make it a late dinner. <laughs> it really, it really does. So, so going backwards to go forwards, the wines really do need to be served. Yeah. So, so at, at a wine dinner, so so far we're nowhere near work, and we're not serving any wines at this dinner. But go, do go on. I'm interested to see how this ends up. To see um, the end of the story. Well, well, I guess one of the other things, if you're the right staff, and I, I don't really want to poo-poo right staff. Um, well, they're working hard at this time of year. They're, they're, really they're working hard at this time of year. But what's one thing at a uh, an event where you can see people are drinking alcohol? What should you not sort of say? You can't drink alcohol. No, that you should drink more. Oh yes, no, you can't say that either. <laughs> I don't think I don't think being told that uh, 
everyone is having one and being forced alcohol upon you is a is a is a great great thing. I just have this little bugbear on that. Do you see where I'm coming from? I see where you're coming from. Yeah, if you if you don't want to drink, you shouldn't have to. Yeah, I guess it comes after the uh, addition of shots at the Ooh. event. Well, that is a whole other podcast. Episode. <laughs> um, sh- sh- shots in public, shots above the age of twenty-one, shots in a restaurant, and/or shots at Christmas parties. There, there, there are probably four, four separate topics there. Um, have you or, ever sh- have you ever served shots at one of your events, Campbell? Uh, well, in a pre-pandemic world, we would have done forty events per per state in Sydney, in New South Wales, and and Victoria. Oh wow! And if counting back out of those eighty events, uh, we we actually serve shots in. Uh, let me, actually, none of them. No, no, we didn't serve shots in any of them. Why would oh. we serve shots at a wine event? Why would we <laughs> serve shots at a wine event? <laughs> No shots. I, no shots at wine events. It's an, it's an interesting addition to the uh, to the table. Uh, for at a nine o'clock start, wines come out at nine, and by, before eleven o'clock, the shots are on the table. Oh, interesting little process. Um, one th- one one other thing. This is yes, this is the last thing. There's more. I'm just. You can see why I'm just sort of thinking that should I save this for the podcast or do I get it off off my chest somewhere else? No, stuff the listener. I'm going to just share it here. Yes. There was it. one. There was one other thing that I just thought is is actually really good tip for anyone planning a wine dinner. And mm. you and I have had this discussion indirectly. Yes. It is about the number of people. You invite ah, to a dinner. Yes, good, good, solid, good, solid question that does need an answer, particularly at this time of year, the silly season when there are multiple functions, muchos, muchos functions going on. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people do you have? So, at your wine function, in how how to how to not host a wine function, how many mm-hmm. people were at this so-called wine dinner, Luke Morris? Ah, see, I have no problem with the number of people, but it's it, it, this this circles back to this to the arrangement. If you have a wine function and you seat everybody down, but you only have mixed number of bottles, so not everybody can taste the same wine, and you seat them all down at a long table, if there's in the vicinity of fifteen to twenty people. People are going to miss out on tasting wine, and also the conversation is sort of trapped within the five people that surround you. Exactly, or less if you're on an end. Mm. But uh, so that's why I, I, in those scenarios, I would heavily encourage mingling and an ability to rotate because mm. then you can uh, finger the finger food scenario, which doesn't sound as fancy, but also it allows you to move from area to area to, to try the different wines available and also move from conversation to conversation if for whatever reason you need to go to the toilet and come back and there's somebody new to talk to you know that kind of yep. thing can happen absolutely but we've 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 had sit down dinners and we've discussed how many people is good to share a bottle of wine with at a sit down event and i've i've got a i've got a very set idea on this but what what do you think well, I always love a group of about five. Personally, this is me personally. You know, if I'm if I'm a, if I'm just having a wine dinner amongst friends mm-hmm. rather than a public event, 
I love the group of five or six people because yep. everyone gets to taste enough of the one bottle that you can share. And if everybody brings a bottle, um, you know, and the wait staff can taste it and whatever, it's a fairly substantial drink. It's a bottle per person, uh, you know, give or take some for the wait staff. And you've got to taste six wines, which for a professional's, even for a professional's palate, that's a fairly big ask. So, yeah, I'm going with five or six, Luke Morris. I think I agree with you entirely, actually. I think I think six, six is the maximum. If you pour out a bottle of wine, I believe it is five standard glasses yep. uh, that you'd get in a restaurant. So six is still fine. You get a, a, a pretty much a full glass of wine. And also, at that size table, you can be involved in... Every conversation that takes part, that you, you you're not excluded on the out of anywhere. Nope. So how many was at your dinner party? Where in how not to host a wine dinner? It was upwards of fifteen. And so you would need three or four of each bottle being served. Well, yes, but we had one of each, and so you got. So I, being my interested wine self, uh, tried to. Um, Get a little smidge of each glass in between the within the uh, two to three hours of actual wine on table time that was allotted, and uh, I woke up not feeling that good. <laughs> <laughs> was there not enough water consumed, perhaps? I think I was cramming. It was like it was like being back in year twelve and trying to study for an event. I thought I just had to get as much into me as quickly as possible, which wasn't a healthy way to look at things. So there's there's two two tips here for late players, ladies and gentlemen, listeners and ladies and gentlemen. There's two tips here. One, eat lots of food prior to going to said wine dinner. Two, wash your wine it, dinner. Started early. I was just about to say number two tip there in how to host a wine dinner is start it early, particularly oh. if you're looking at so many wines. Yeah. And the third one there is drink as much water as you can wine. Yeah. Handy holiday did. tips. It's an interesting one that one. I don't know about the water drinking water by having wine seems to take up a lot of time <laughs> but it also <laughs> it also helps you helps your body filter said toxins so you this don't wake true. up how, how did you feel the next day did you say not great Rough. not great so it helps you feel much greater <laughs> <laughs> do you know now that i come to think of it i did manage to um have some wine before the nine o'clock uh, i actually went and pointed to some bottles of wine and said, I believe those are for our table. Can we have them now? Um, well, I, I think did, if you're trying to taste them, then you really, that's exactly what you have to do. Yeah. You have to, because that's the that's the whole benefit of the wine dinner, to taste said wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, to enjoy to enjoy wines and company. I did manage to um, bring a bottle of sparkling Shiraz with us, so I did start off with that. I had that for, within the first hour. So that ah, was... Ah, so for those listeners who were with us in last week's episode, we were talking about sparkling Shiraz, and you left us with the idea that you were going in search. So what did you find? I found a brick kiln, 2016 Ooh. McLaren Vale sparkling Shiraz been sitting around for a while at their winery apparently and um i found that at a um, on a bit brick. of a cheapy offer but brick, um brick kiln yeah as in pottery kiln yes it's about one and the same i did i i mentioned last week i tried to get hold of a um wild duck creek but liam kindly informed me that they were out of stock but there is some available i'm sure in retail stores um yeah. 
I was offered an, uh, a potential Langmile. There might yep. have been some Sepult. Yep. There might have been some Rockford Sparkling Black, but um, I don't think a uh, really little budget was going to stretch itself to a Sparkling Black as far. Well, you and I have mentioned the very, very special Sparkling Black on this podcast before, and if you can, if, you, if your budget can stretch that far, listeners, it is well worth sourcing out. Yeah, it's not... Not widely available, like um, the Sparkling Duck from Wild Duck Creek. They're, they're rare in offering, but if you can ever come across one, they're well worth the investment, aren't they, Luke? They are. Do you, do you know so a tidbit that either you can confirm or deny or mm-hmm. not know entirely? Or well, three mm-hmm. options there. Um, that Rockford uh, Basket Press and Rockford Sparkling Black are the same baseline. Now, I can't confirm that but i have heard let's say a a similar legend yeah yes so you can buy the wine that goes into the basket press slightly cheaper in the um, sparkling black label at least it used to be i don't know what the pricing is on it these days it's probably it's it's about 120 dollars uh retail a bottle ah it'd be about the same then well yep yeah about the same Hmm. So the brick kiln, please do tell. I'm, I'm you know, scouring oh. the earth for great bottles of sparkling shows. What was it like? McLaren Bale, French yeah. oak, delicious. Do you, know, do you know the beautiful thing? Because I was the person serving, I had a bottle of wine when there wasn't any. I uh-huh. offered it to people who were saying, who normally tell me that they don't want any sparkling Shiraz and they uh, offered up their glass because um, they were thirsty and I had something. And <laughs> the feedback... Maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. Oh, the oh. feedback was from people saying, you know what, normally I find this sweet and horrible and I don't love it. This is actually really good. And it was because it was served at a reasonable temperature, it wasn't overdone, it was good quality fruit and it was just had bubbles. It wasn't ice cold, so it wasn't you couldn't see heavy sweetness or anything like that. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, hot and alcoholic. It was fine it was perfect and it was well-made wine and everybody just enjoyed it as a good bubbly red and that's what it is great well that would that would have brought the troops together at your uh wine dinner oh i had some friends at the end of the night well at that point in the night at least Mm. that's how the night ran out Excellent. Well, how, how not to host a wine dinner, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard it here first from Luke Morris. The tips are keep the wine dinner close to work. Actually, have wine and serve it before 9pm uh, and ex- maybe exclude the shots. Maybe uh, exclude the shots. Maybe exclude the shots. What I were the shots? Eat, in, in, were they Japanese slippers or cowboys or what were the shots? In, in, just for interest's sake, you know, what were the shots? I should say each though, Ryan. I assume some people really enjoyed that night, by the way. But uh, this little black the shot, duck. The shots or the night? No, the night. This, <laughs> this little black duck was not, not so much. What I, I could have done with some sparkling duck. That would have cheered me up a bit. Um, what was the question again? I, I, I had my own answer and I didn't listen to your question. The question was a. Oh, you know what? We'll have to listen to it on the podcast. I've <laughs> But hey, no. The question was, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, listeners, listening audience. If you do have a question, you can email us at lukestalkwine at gmail This is the second last podcast in our series, actually, 
um, in in this series before we take a short break, uh, before we return. Uh, if anyone's listening, we'll return with bigger and better things next year. But we've got one I'll more podcast next year. To get. Well, yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, sure. I'll be back. I'll be back if you're cool. Let's, let's do it. Done. Um, but we've got one more question um, and conversation to get through before we wrap this show up, Luke Morris. Let's do it. What have you got All for right. me? So the question I got from, and, and it happens fairly regularly, why is Puno, it was, the question was why is Puno so hard, but in, it was Ooh. in reference to why is Puno expensive? Why is it, why, why is Puno the troublesome grape that it is versus how you can get, you know, buckets and buckets of Shiraz and Cabernet of all reasonable standards, but Puno is very oh, individual and it's just, it's, why is Pinot hard compared to the other grapes of the world? Well, ha- how many times, I'm going to reverse the question. I'll answer the question, but I want you to think about how many times a week do you get asked the question, and you're in the same industry I am, yeah. how can I find a cheap bottle of Pinot? How many times would you, or, or what's the oh. best cheap bottle of Pinot? How many times yeah. a week would you get, I, I'm going to say, will you answer the question? I'll answer the question in this way. I, I do get, you do always, if people are after a, a peanut, they'd like to know something that's cheap, but the answer of what's cheap, it's thin. There's not that many on the grounds because, I don't know, maybe that word is telling. There's a lot of thin peanut at the cheap price, but there's nothing that's really <laughs> peanut at a cheap price. I can answer the question. I get asked the question twice a day, five oh. days a week. It's one of the most, in, it's one of the most uh, questions I get asked repeatedly. And the the your original quizmaster's question is, you know, what, why is Pinot so difficult to drink? Why is it, why can it be so hard? Why is it so um, sought after in that particular price range? Well, I, I think you answered it there. You answered that it's often thin at that price range because it's been made from thin grapes. If you're buying, ladies and gentlemen, that buying cheap Pinot is a dead set oxymoron, and Luke and I are here to tell you why. So. The big thing is probably the overarching thing is Pinot Noir is one of the most difficult grape varieties to grow. It's from one of the most difficult um, regions on earth, one of the more complicated regions on earth to understand. And it has a very, very thin skin as one of the red grape varieties. So it makes it extremely susceptible to disease. Further, furthermore to that, it loves oak. In fact, it's an oak monster. It sucks oak up. So all these factors are laden over by price at each point. I didn't think Pinot usually used a hell of a lot of oak. Yep. Is that Pinot always Noir the case? loves oak. Because you don't tend whether to, you, you'll find an oaky, oaky characteristic in, in Shiraz, but I don't usually, you know, well, it's, maybe it's the type of oak. I do, normally don't pull out a, a Pinot and go, gosh, there's lashings of vanilla. No, because the fruit and the flesh is so dominant in Pinot Noir, it sucks up the oak and the oak's just a supporting role. Uh, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't dominate like it does in Shiraz or Cabernet or, or Grenache for that matter, really. Um, but um, you, you, it, it, Pinot loves oak uh, as a supporting role. But anyway, back, back to, so just where you, it costs money to plant it. So wherever you grow it, um, it's, not disease resistant, so highly susceptible to disease. It loves oak. All these ah, things. So you got to take. So therefore, the two, the things that go within those two topics there are 
Uh, Oak costs money. That's not cheap at all. You can spend $5,000 on a barrel, and a barrel was spread out to around... uh, Did we we discuss this one day? I think it works out that you can spend up to $9 a bottle just on an oak. Yes, we. I think we did. We didn't drill down quite on the barrels and the barriques, and but I think you were you you're right. It's it's very very expensive. One of those small um, barriques would be can be somewhere between three and seven thousand dollars a pop. So when you see them all lined up there in wineries, just think about the money that that costs. And winemakers and wineries have to pay for that before they've even got an idea of how much they're going to yield. The oak <laughs> prior to the vintage, which is the greatest con on planet Earth. That's true. Yeah, so you got to buy the number of barrels because you need those before you even pick the grapes. Correct. So you got to you got to plan ahead because they got to ship across also from France or Hungary or somewhere else. That's it. But back, back to the the cost. The uh, other thing co- is the yeah. vineyard cost, like you were saying, with uh, the fact that it is a very thin-skinned grape and it needs constant tender in the vineyard, that's just increased the cost of vineyard maintenance. Absolutely. And it just really has to be handled with kid gloves. Like Pinot Noir is one of the most popular single red grape varieties. You know, they blend it with Chardonnay for Champagne. Uh, it's a very difficult grape to grow, but it makes this exceptional kind of smooth, aromatic, intensely fragrant, low tannin type of wine. And, and to, 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 to grow it, the big thing here is to grow it, a Shiraz vine, Vitis vinifera vine, will bear fruit, you know, very early, you know, six, seven years of age, whereas Pinot won't really bear a commercial crop until about nine years of age. So it's quite the investment. Um, for a winemaker, he or she's planting Pinot Noir to, to wait almost a decade before they can really get a viable crop from it. So if you're you get, harking back to what you said, Luke Morris, about it being a, a thin, weedy grape variety at that kind of you know early 20s, sub-20 mark, and that's because these um, wineries or producers are producing wines from young vines and they get that insipid kind of green um you know really ripe berry grenache like characteristics which are just not great for pinot noir drinkers the the the, and the I body suppose goes if you're up. pushing the if you're pushing the yield you're also putting too much uh water into the berry and therefore you're diluting the flavor and therefore you get thin skin uh thin flavored wine as well because you need to recover some sort of money from the investment you put into it. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you if you think of wherever it comes from, you know, in the world, you know, France, Burgundy, Tasmania, Adelaide Hills, Great Southern WA, Central Otago, uh, Washington State in the US, if you think of wherever the great regions that produce Pinot, they're, they're a typical... Um, they're you know, not they're, cheap. They're, Those are all premium <laughs> countrysides. I mean, Mornington exactly. Peninsula is not a... If you want to buy a house there, it's not cheap. If you want to put a vineyard, you want to demolish the house and then just put a vineyard there, think how crazy that sounds. Absolutely crazy, yeah. I mean, the, the Mornington, we didn't even talk about the, the Yarrow. Like these places are top, top, um, you know, real estate-wise. They're 
top of the pops type stuff. And winemakers, he or she, just on that, they're paying a bit for a ton of um, for a ton of say Pinot Noir. You might be paying between five, six and a half thousand dollars a ton, whereas Shiraz would be closer to three thousand dollars a ton. Um, you know, I've, I've done vintage for a couple of vintages, but it may don't quote me on those figures, but that's what they were. I, yeah, I heard that that was happening. I heard the there was a scary number thrown around that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was something around the fact that uh, Pinot Noir in the Mornington was reaching tonnage pricing worthy of um, Barossa, good high-value high Barossa Shiraz. And we know how much people drink Barossa Shiraz. Mm. Any Pinot in Mornington was hitting the same price point just because demand for fruit was so high. Yep. Cause, and that's just what gets reflected over in the costs. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, yeah. How do, with, people, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, how do people... How do people make good cheap Pinot then? I mean, that, well, it does exist. It's, it's just rare as hen's teeth. It's, it's, a lot of the time, it's a, it's an oxymoron. I mean, one of the, one of the greatest... Um, and not that we sell too much uh, wine on this show, but um, uh, one of the, one of the, you talk about cheap Pinot, things that come to mind, cheap Pinot, and if people have got um, pens at the ready, the, the the one I really like, but it's still you know twenty five bucks or whatever. In some cases, twenty seven mm-hmm. is the Punt Road Pinot out of the Yarra. Um, which is about yeah, 25, 26, 27 at a stretch. Um, I, I really like the Broad Arrow out of the Tamar Valley, Broad Arrow Pinot Noir out of the Tamar Valley, which is, you know, 27. Um, I don't know. Have you got any off the top of your head? Um, uh, in my wine world, I'm not really at liberty to disclose uh, pro- of producers, but um, we have some um, stuff at around the, the 15 to $12 mark that, Tastes like Pinot and looks like Pinot. It's it's Pinot. It's just I scratch my head that it can exist sometimes. But also, you know, it's some of the stuff. Uh, the six foot six Austin's Pinot out of, out of um, Geelong. Out of Geelong, you know, that's yep. you know twenty two bucks. You can probably pick that up. L- look at look at kind of when you when you listeners when you're looking for a, a good. I won't say cheap anymore. If you're looking for good value. Look for regions out of the limelight, Adelaide Hills, Great Southern WA, Geelong yep. here in Victoria. Yep. Um, Iowa in New Zealand is where we get yes, this stuff. Yes, absolutely. Can, it's can not really Central Otago and it's not yep. uh, Marlborough. It's not Morning, um, Martinborough, but it's yep. still good fruit. Couldn't agree, couldn't agree more. So if you look at those regions that are out of the spotlight, you'll definitely get a, a – a value, a bargain, let's say. But um, <laughs> Pinot Luke Morris, it's a bit of a minefield for a little dry, medium-bodied, medium-acidic red wine with mushrooms and clove and floral characters. It's a bit of a beastie. It's um, it's just I, sure it's got a long and smooth finish, but it's it's just it's it's a tough one to understand that one. I tell you what, I might have gone on a rant earlier about the wine dinner stuff because I've had a um, I've had a, a, a bumpy couple of weeks and just beforehand, as I thought, stuff it. And I had um, a glass of the Granite Hills Pinot Noir from oh, uh, Macedon. All the way from Macedon Rangers. And I, I, I'd, I'd pay much more than I paid for that every day of the week. It's a really good wine. They, uh, again, talking about obscure little regions, if you want to find some good value Pinot, 
obviously there's bending and there's there's plenty of um, not cheap stuff growing around there, but there's some plenty of good value wines. Oh, absolutely. Look, look out for Athletes of Wine. Look out for Lions Will Estate, Silent Way. Curly Flat have a uh, inexpensive label called Williams Landing or Williams Crossing, I think it is, which is just they're, they're great, great value. They're made by masters out there, and yeah, it's 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 out of the limelight, it's out of the dress circle, but there's some stonking wines, Pinot wise, being grown up there. So what are you? Let's, let's let's move on to the what are you drinking this week, Campbell? Question: Are you drinking any Pinots from out in the that end of the world? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I haven't had a glass of Pinot in the lead up to the silly season, Luke Morris. But thank you very much for, thank you very much for asking. No, I am just, um, you know, just lots, lots of fizz around at the moment. So I'm not, <laughs> I haven't settled on. But you know, you, rose fizz. Oh yes, definitely rose fizz. Um, uh, but yeah, nothing's jumping out. But just the obligatory glass of fizz comes out. You know, people just everyone starts with a glass of fizz. They've either been listening to the podcast, Luke Morris, or they just know how to do it. So just start with the fizz. Give yourself some thinking time. And so I've just been taking those uh, glasses of fizz, and I've you know I've discovered a couple of nice ones along the way, but. Nothing really to report back yet. I think I've got to go through another week of Christmas parties yet to just give you the full <laughs> Maybe next week, listeners, I can give you a few pointers and the sparklings. Yeah, I'll ask about your emotions uh, yeah, in, a, in about a week's time. <laughs> Good we'll idea. That might be a bit, they'll be a bit frayed by then, but do it, Luke <laughs> Morris. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. All right, we'll chat to you in a week and uh, keep well. Yes, thank you very much, listeners. I've been Luke Campbell. You can catch me uh, on the socials and Instagram, vinified underscore wine underscore services. I've been Luke Campbell. He's been Luke Morris. And in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine sellers specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com dot au